in the morning when you want the news you need the front page every hour on the press box nothing's writing on this except the uh, first amendment of the constitution freedom of the press and maybe the future of the country not that any of that matters and now the news the Las Vegas Aces lost to the Washington Mystics last night, 83-73. to uh, Unlike a lot of their previous losses, this was not some horrific defensive game. We saw that um, right before the All-Star break for the Aces. Oof. Just some brutal defense. Uh, they just weren't great offensively. Uh, De'Erica Hamby, Kelsey uh, Plum, and Jackie Young did not have good offensive games. None of them could finish. Um, but here's the interesting part about that game, or the big picture about that game. The Aces went 0-3 against the Washington Mystics this season swept by the mystics this year as of right now and there's only like five games left in the season so we're getting close to the end now the aces would be the two seed and the mystics would be the four seed which would mean they wouldn't meet until the wnba finals if they were to meet in the postseason however the aces are pretty close to the one seed there i think they're only a game back if the aces jumped up to one then obviously they could play the four seed in the semifinals or the Mystics are pretty close to the three. If they jumped up to the three, then the Aces and Mystics would play in the semis as the two and the three seed. There's basically five good teams in the WNBA this year. Uh, Connecticut, Chicago, Vegas, Seattle, and Washington. Washington. Um, but as of right now, the toughest matchup during the regular season has been the Washington Mystics. Okay, so let me ask this because you've probably seen more than one of these games i'll admit i did not watch last night is it more of a matchup problem or is there more in these games the aces just haven't been very good so here's the fascinating problem elena deladon throughout right. her career has given the aces trouble right elena deladon i think she made one shot last night like she that was not the issue for the aces elena deladon didn't do anything natasha cloud had a great game for uh washington yesterday it's just a team that's been able to space the floor and beat the aces that way. And that shouldn't happen as much to this year's version because they're playing smaller than when they had Cam Beige and Asia Wilson on the, on the floor, floor together, same time. but it's still been a tough matchup. Now I will say this. They haven't been blown out by Washington. One of those three losses was a one point loss. The 10 points is pretty significant, but it hasn't been they've had some blowout losses this year. They haven't been blown out by Washington. So it's not like Which, they're far away. Which makes me believe I would bet them in the playoffs because it'll even out. I mean, like you said, had they lost every game by fifteen and twenty, like all right, this is a horrible matchup right. for them. That's one thing. So if they, if I bet, which I don't, I would bet the Aces in the playoffs because I think it evens yeah. out. And the part that I'm still curious to see from Becky Hammond that we have no, she hasn't been the head coach of a team before. How good is she going to be in sort of a postseason? You're playing the same team three or five straight times, right. making adjustments right. on the fly against the same team over and over. We haven't seen that because she hasn't right. coached in a postseason series yet. Throughout played regular... Indiana twice and didn't need to make any adjustments. <laughs> Throughout the regular season, generally speaking, you don't make a ton of like specific adjustments to a team because you play them once and then you move Weeks on to another later, team. Exactly. Right. But in the postseason, you got to win. Every game is like, hey, we got to win this one and you're playing the same team. So I'll be curious to see because... That might be where Vegas gets an edge. There may be something that she's like, oh, we should do this against the Mystics. They're just not necessarily doing it in the regular season series because uh, whatever. But once you sit down and study Washington and say, okay, this is a weakness or this is where we can fix one of our weaknesses, I'm curious to see how good she is at that and if that makes a difference in the postseason. Great question. Kevin Durant 
will meet with Nets owner Joseph Tsai, according to Heavy Sports. Kevin Durant requested a trade earlier this offseason. Heavy Sports. Nothing has happened. Um, do you believe Kevin Durant, talking to the owner, is going to say, hey, I'm not going to play until you trade me? Do you think he's going to sit down and say, hey, I'll play, but I'd still like to be traded? Or do you think he's said, saying something else to Joseph Tsai, the owner of the Nets? The middle part. Because I think he plays with four years left on his contract. I we, don't think I don't think he sits out. But we had, we had the report from Zach Lowe that they nobody the executives in the NBA believe he's going to play regardless. Right. Now the like you just said the conversation could be but yeah I mean you know I still want to be traded for these reasons but I've got four years left on my deal and I'll play. It could be as simple as Kevin Durant wants like a face to face update on where their trade talks are. Like they could True. be as simple as, "Hey, True. I asked for a trade. What happened? Who did you talk to? Right. What's going on? What, like, what's the problem? I guess why right. haven't you been able to trade me? It might be as simple as that." And Joseph Simon my sister, and say, "Hey, you're good, and we're not trading we're you not, for we're not for we're going to wait for bumps. the best deal, right?" And so I'm I'm curious what exactly Kevin Durant because he's the one that's you know I think that wants this meeting. I'm curious what exactly he wants to get out of this because. I tend to agree, not that I have any inside knowledge, but like I tend to agree he's going to play this year if the Nets do don't too. trade him. So he's going to sit down and, and like, what does he say to Joseph Tsai? And I, and I also wonder, is there an element of him sitting down saying, hey, uh, can me and my agent try to find a trade? Can we reach out to teams and say, hey, you know, are you interested in me playing for you? And I'd love to be- know what Joseph Tsai says in terms of how it's gone and what they've what people have offered. And yeah. I mean, you might just say we haven't been offered enough, but I'd love to know specifics of what the market kind of says he's worth. Be like, the Lakers keep calling me offering up Russell Westbrook. I ain't doing that. (laughs) No. Uh, We'll see. Browns wide receiver Tim Patrick was carted off the field yesterday because he tore his ACL. He will miss the season. The Broncos actually had two players. They had a backup running back as well. Tear his ACL at practice yesterday. So this is very similar to remember the Ravens last year when they had back-to-back Back plays. ACLs. Guys with, was it a? I thought it was Achilles last year, or was it ACL? I thought they were ACLs. But they had back-to-back season-ending injuries on plays in the same practice. Right. Very similar to the Broncos here, and Tim like, Patrick led them in touchdowns last yeah, year. That's like, a big and loss. There was a getting Russell Wilson, obviously massive upgrade from Drew Locke. A lot of people talk about Jerry Judy potentially having a big year. Tim Patrick's a good receiver. Like, mm-hmm. there was a chance Tim Patrick was going to have a breakout season with Russell Wilson and now torn ACL. He's not going to play. It, it's a significant loss for the Raiders at this point. Or for the Raiders, for the Broncos. <laughs> well, it's not a loss for yeah, the Raiders. The Raiders, right? the Raiders are, might benefit from yeah. this. <laughs> yeah, the Raiders' uh, defensive back group just high-fived yeah, each other. Yeah, Nate Hobbs is getting kind of happy. But, like, man, August 2nd. And you got multiple guys tearing ACLs. Like, we're in the first couple weeks of training camp here. That's rough. It's It's like the NBA playoffs. Yeah. Except, you know, the games don't matter right now. Like, none of this matters. It'd be like, oh. uh, So it's like the NBA playoffs. Yeah. Like the last two months of the NBA season. This stuff, does this... I know we're going to talk about the the Raiders, but uh, who do you think anyone plays uh, tomorrow night? There's got to be some offensive linemen that play of significance. Right? It just has to. Watch like, their feet. Yeah. yeah, they can't go Jermaine Eleanor for every play. Uh, Carr's not going to play. I imagine Adams, Renfro, Waller. I don't think Jacobs plays. Jacobs. They don't like him that much. Who does play at running back?
Jacob? They got a lot, well, but like they, I assume they wouldn't play Jacobs or Kenyon Bolden? Drake, right? So Jacob? Are they putting Brandon Bolden in, even though he's like a Patriots? Like they know who Brandon Bolden yeah, is. Like that's true. I think they've got Amir Abdullah on the roster. Maybe yeah, he's yeah we talked to him the other day. He's the feature back. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious to see because offensive line wise, I'd imagine we see like Colton Miller's the only one to me good enough that he doesn't play no matter what. Q came on and said maybe Andre James too, but outside of that, I mean, I don't think Kenyon Drake, Zamir White, but he's a rookie who missed three or four practices last week. He came back. He's healthy. The he last plays. two days. I mean, yeah, yeah. probably because he came back the last two days in practice. Who was the other running back they drafted? I can't remember his name, but he'll probably He's the play. UCLA kid. Yeah. Uh, Brown? God, blanking on his, his name. name. He'll probably play, I assume. Defensively? What do they do a defensive tackle? They got like 37 guys still trying out for spots yes. there. Uh, I'd be curious to see there who plays. I mean, Chandler Jones, Butler, Max Crosby, Butler, Lancaster, Farrell, Willings. Oh, Cleveland Furl's got to play the Billings? whole game, right? We're going to get Billings? We're going Oh, he's still hurt. Man, who is going to play in this game? They have a big enough roster for a preseason game? Well, they 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 went into camp with though we've got too many people in the room on defensive tackle and now they don't have enough people in the room on defensive tackle. So, Amir Abdullah is like a weird player to me because I had to chart when I was dabbling and scouting I charted every single one of his plays in college, and I was, like, obsessed with, like, he's going to be the next Adrian Peterson. He's going to be incredible just because I watched everything that he did. And, yeah, I was super wrong. K-Long told me a couple Reason I'm no longer a scout. You got to get rid of this echo. (laughs) Can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. (laughs) If you remember... A Tampa Bay Buccaneers beat writer said a couple weeks ago that Leonard Fournette was a donut away from 280 uh, and did not look like he was in shape to play football. Leonard Fournette apparently talked to the media yesterday and to read a tweet from Sarah Walsh, Leonard Fournette says he's always blown up in the offseason. Quote, I got big jeans. Says he worked his tail off to get here in shape. So Leonard Fournette's basically saying, hey, I'm fat. I just yeah, work just really hard work, to get skinny yeah, for the NFL yeah, season. Exactly. Big jeans. He's also G-N-E-S. I blow up every offseason. He's also not skinny. He's he's a huge dude. Yeah. So this is him like this is him cutting weight. So does Leonard Fournette have two he's different He's built like a rectangle. Does he have two different closets? One for in football season when he's, you know, in shape and one for the off season when he when said he's fat? he blows up. Yeah. When he's like forty pounds heavier than what he plays at. You gotta have two different closets, right? The fat closet and the playing closet. Oh, the closet! I thought you said claws. Claws. No, remember con- Eddie Lacy? Remember? Oh God, rest in peace. But uh, you remember Eddie Lacy? Eddie Lacy's dead. Oh, no, I'm thinking of somebody else. My bad. <laughs> but uh, he would have. What a- just happened there? My brain sucks. <laughs> uh, no, but he had a clause in his contract that was: uh, if you show up to camp so much overweight, you'll. You you get fined. I think he got fined like five thousand dollars a week. Eddie Lacy's thirty two years old. Yeah. Now nah, my brain confused. Still with us. Good job yes. on that one, Jared. I nailed it. Yep. Uh, that's yeah. Sorry, Eddie, if you're listening. <laughs> Press box transition. Austin Riley signed a ten year contract with the Atlanta Braves worth. 
$212 million. So on average, $21.2 million per year. Riley finished seventh in MVP voting last year in the National League. He is currently leading the National League in slugging this season. They got a a deal then. How did the break? 21.2. How doesn't this guy get 30? The Braves now have Ronald Acuna, Ozzy Albies, uh, Matt Olson, and now Austin Riley. Four good position players locked up for a long time. And I don't believe any of them are making as much money as they would if they were free agents. Yeah. They are all well, on under market deal under under market I mean, value deals. I mean, they're the ones that, he's the ones who took it. Yeah. So he didn't have to take it. So Did maybe he's fine to. with it. So but you look at what he's done and you're like, how is that guy not getting paid right. more? I think the only argument I think you could have for maybe why he wouldn't get paid more right now is he's it's been a season and a half, right? He like last year was his breakout year, seventh in MVP voting. He hadn't done anything before that. But this year, he's been very good again. So right. Presumably, he's going to continue to be very good for the next decade or so. But yeah, it seems like the Braves got like the you know like Juan Soto deal. Number one thing that happened at the trade deadline. This might have been number two. Like the Braves sure. locking up Austin Riley for ten years might be the second most significant thing that happened at the trade deadline because he's one of the best players the Braves have. They're really good and they've got him for ten years, and it's not even going to be that expensive to have him around he's second right now to goldsmith that odds for mvp yeah he's good he's yeah. really good and he's not gonna get Man, paid goldsmith that much. just running away with it at minus 140 if you were if you were a baseball player because they have this whole six years of service time where you don't really get paid a whole lot of money like you can win a lot in arbitration if you're really good but you don't get paid a lot in for six years you become a free agent most guys become a free agent around 30 or so if you were a player and you were, you know, Austin Riley status, you were a really good player. Would you wait until free agency to cash in the max amount or would you take the security up front? I would probably, is my, so, so my security is the 21 million a year. Yeah. Like you're offered I would a take the security. 21 million a year for 10 years or I would take the security. in four years or something. If you continue to play, this I could well get 30 a year free agency. You might get 35 million a year. I would probably take the security. I think, yeah, and that's what Austin Riley did. I think that might be what I do too. To be completely honest, someone's giving me two hundred million dollars. <laughs> like, because you, and that's the other thing. It's fully guaranteed. It's not the NFL right. where it's right partially. He's guaranteed. getting that money. Yeah, no matter what happens, I guess he could do something to get suspended and lose the money, whatever. But as long as he plays baseball for right. a decade, he could suck. He's getting two hundred twelve million dollars. Yeah, I think. I think that's the argument that a lot of players end up taking lower deals than, hey, if you just wait yeah. until free agency, you could make a whole lot of yeah. money. All right, coming up next, we jump into the Raiders because they got a preseason game coming up. And his father was a railroad worker. His name was Theotis. However, Theotis became a crack addict. In fact, his father disappeared for quite a while. Tory takes ball one, and he disappeared with Tory's favorite jacket. And then one day, Tory got up in the morning and his dad was asleep on the couch and there was the jacket on the back of a chair. So he put the jacket on, he was so thrilled, and he went to school. And he wanted to answer a question and raised his right hand, shaking it. And falling out of the jacket was, what do you call it, a crack pipe? I guess that's what you call it. That's the first time he realized his father, well, you get the idea. Tory, with all of that, is just the nicest guy you'd ever want to meet. The one one. The one one. The one one. Uh, 
<laughs> Mark Ratner just gave me a note that I totally forgot about. Ross Porter, your analytics guy, he was the play-by-play broadcaster for the Rebels, 80s through the uh, 90s. I totally forgot about that. For football or basketball? Don't remember. Oh, I think it was. Guy sounds great. 80s and 80s through the uh, through 90s. Mark, let us I'm know. On how old is our stuff in the in the? How old is the stuff uh, in the computer? We got anything uh, from the 80s and 90s? No, I. 2001 is the oldest highlight I'm aware of. If this guy mentioned points per possession in the 80s and 90s while watching UNLV basketball, he's going to be the greatest sports analysis I've ever heard. Also, I'm not going to. Uh, I I saw. I saw Vin Scully on a scoreboard last night, and it might have been Dodger Stadium because I'm being, I'm being texted right now that it was not San Francisco because the Giants owner did not know if the, the Dodger players knew. Oh. So I'm going to throw that out there. I'll check that, but if that's the case, that would make sense that he didn't know if they knew, so it's like we're not going to put that up. So I might have seen it, and they might have just put it on Dodgers. That, that would make sense too, right? They would have just put it on, even if they're not playing at yeah. home, they'd put it on the scoreboard. Yeah. Some poor guy's got to drive into work. And I was going to say, who's turn there? The, turn the scoreboard on. Like the, the security <laughs> guard? Like, listen, Jimmy, you got to go upstairs. We're going to walk you through this. I mean, Turn the scoreboard on. <laughs> got to make the graphic and then <laughs> just put exactly. it up on the scoreboard and turn it on. Some poor guy. Um, so earlier I said that I don't think people would like a Vin Scully type announcer today. Porter called running Rebels Hoops. Oh, God. I like this guy. I've never met him. I don't even, I know like two things about him and he sounds incredible. Um, but I said earlier in the show, that I don't think people would like the Vince Scully style today. That if some new guy came in and was just like rambling on about, about some random story. Tory. Right. However, if a new guy came in and was like, he was a crack addict, <laughs> ball one, people would love that guy. That guy would be the most famous announcer in the sport. If he just came on talking about uh, who was he even talking about? Some kid who went to Tory Tory Hunt. Uh, that Tory was Tory Hunter. Hunter? Yeah, his dad took his favorite jacket. Then his dad showed up again, and well, who could? I, I know you know the answer. The one one bitch. How old was Tory Hunter when that happened? He could wear the same jacket as his dad. Well, his dad was on crack, so I assume his dad was whip thin. But like, was Tory Hunter eight? Or was Tory Hunter like I'm on it? Sixteen when this happened because there's well, he's no- forty seven now. <laughs> so I don't know how old he was when he had the well, jacket on. If we let Jared keep talking, he's going to say R.I.P. and kill <laughs> off Tory Hunter here pretty soon. I apologized on Twitter. My <laughs> God. So I just yeah, if somebody came on and was just like, yeah, his dad was a crack addict. <laughs> like, I love people this. People would love that. Followed by one and one. Yes, it'd be <laughs> phenomenal. All right. I do want to get a little bit onto a Raiders topic. They're playing tomorrow, Hall of Fame game. But yesterday, the depth chart came out ahead of the first preseason game. Every time there's a game, there's a depth chart sent out as sort of a little nice game notes, media package. Um, Doesn't always mean anything, but can mean something. Alex Leatherwood was listed as the starting right tackle for the Raiders, the starters on the offensive line, Colton Miller at left tackle, John Simpson at left guard, Andre James at center, Lester Cotton at right guard, and Alex Leatherwood at right tackle. This was Corey surprising. Hunter was seven. There's no way he fit in that jacket. I well, I mean, now again, you understand why the crack bite fell out. 
It was, the jacket was too big. <laughs> so I, you just couldn't again, hold it in there. I, I don't know if you guys have been around very many, like, drug addicts. They don't carry a lot of extra weight. <laughs> I was just around a seven-year-old. They're, like, three foot two. <laughs> All right, yeah, maybe it was a big jacket. I No, I'm thinking it's a small. It was Tory Hunter's jacket when he was seven. It had to have been a small jacket. Like, I'm envisioning his dad wearing it as a crop top because it didn't come past his belly button. I assume it was the 80s, so maybe that was in style. Like, the uh, sleeves barely go past the elbow. I, will say, I have pictures of my dad and my uncle in the 70s, and they're both wearing, like, shirts that don't go all the way down to, <laughs> to the belt. I'm, yeah. d- I'm pretty sure every college football team in the 70s or 80s, their jerseys were crop yeah, tops. exactly. They, like, covered the shoulder yes. pads, and the belly they was the, exposed. They showed the belly. So maybe maybe it was. <laughs> it was very crack fine. chic. Yeah. He was a crack addict. So back on the Raiders' offensive line. Uh, I, th- I was surprised at this. Now I don't want to talk about the Raiders. Let's keep talking about crack. Now, is this because, I don't know, because they know Brandon Parker's not going to play? But that doesn't make sense anyway because the other starters are listed, right? The other guys that we assume are the starters on the offensive right. line are so, listed. So what everybody surprising. What everybody in the media has basically reported is the starting offensive line or the guys getting the most number one reps is the offensive line in the depth chart with that one exception. It should be Brandon yeah. Parker over Alex Leatherwood based if on what everybody... If you've watched practice right. every day, it would right. be Brandon Parker. But Alex Leatherwood is ahead of Parker. So, again, it's a game notes depth chart for a preseason that game. no one important should play. Right. It probably doesn't mean a lot, but it was interesting to see, especially because when you guys talked to Alex Leatherwood a few days ago, it was coming off him being not only the second string right tackle. He was taking reps he at was third behind string. whoever that Thayer Munford guy was they drafted <laughs> in the seventh, seventh round. round. Pick. Like, Thayer Munford. So it was interesting, and I think maybe the most curious thing to see on Thursday's game for me, and I'm not an offensive line expert, so I don't even know if I'll have a hot take Friday on the show, but how much does Alex Leatherwood play? And, like, is he any good? Like, does he play the entire game or the majority of the game because he's been running with the right. twos on the offensive line? Or does he barely play? And, like, how does he look? Is he Does, it, does he look like a guy that could be starting in the NFL? Or does he look like a guy that should be cut? But probably won't is this the contract. most we will ever pay attention to an offensive line Thursday night? <laughs> no, we're going to do it the whole season. You kidding me? Week one against the Chargers when they lose because Derek we Carr won't got even, sacked We won't even watch times? the ball. We won't even watch the right. ball. We'll just watch the offensive line. I mean, and also it'll be like, again, I'm not an offensive line expert. I'm not going to be able to come in here and tell you, ah, oh, his footwork was wrong on that pass There protection. are some who do that. Right. Footwork, right. quick hands. Yeah. Looks good. Great. But like, this is probably the most to pay attention to the Raiders offensive line for the majority of people ever because it's the, it's the one hole on the offense. The yes. running back room is solid. The wide receiver room is solid. The tight end room is solid. Good. Quarterback solid. Who the hell's playing on this yeah. offensive line? And, and how are they going to perform? Yeah, any of them good. I don't know. Like we could, like we we've said it before. We could be talking about a team that should be in the playoffs that misses the postseason because the offensive line isn't any good. That could be the end of season narrative, right? It's kind of easy to predict right now. That could be the end of season narrative, and that's going to be a issue throughout the season or it's going to be what a hell of a job by the Raiders to not spend any money on the yes, offensive exactly. line and get good production <laughs> that might be what we give them compliments are coming up next hopefully Jason Fitz joins the show
We were watching some stuff in there about the, all the people that he's called no-hitters, perfect games, World Series, all these things. And for me to be a very tiny, tiny, small part of that is, is, is really cool. This is the Juan Soto Show. Joining us now from ESPN is Jason Fitz. I'm a little excited based on what Jared just told me. Uh, what do you got for Dodger fans today? I just want to let you know that everybody looks better in weird dark brown 70s jerseys, right? Like, we all know that, that it's just a better outfit. It looks better, and, yeah. you know, it's good for the sport when uh, when the Dodgers aren't good. I think these are all normal takes, right? Like, uh, the Dodgers need to be good enough to get beaten and rip everybody's hearts out so we can get the ratings, and next year we can spend all year talking about the Dodgers getting everybody's hearts ripped out. Like, this is a, this is a path for content, people. Yeah, well, the Padres better win it all now because if you make all those moves, there's no excuses, right? You better win it. You can't, can't make these I mean, moves you, and not win this yeah. thing. Sure, because we've never seen a baseball team spend a bunch of money and have that not work out. No, no, no we have not. <laughs> and I, they better win it, damn it. That's <laughs> not very happy. I'm not very least, happy. We'll have a few competitive years. Let's, let's say it that way. We did get Joey Gallo, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know. So it was it was a big day there in Dodger Town for Joey Gallo. We already had him. His name is Max Muncie, but uh, decided to add another 154 guy who hits home runs. Important. I mean, there's nothing like saying, "Hey, you having the worst year of your possible career, and maybe having like that whatever the yips that got you sort of in your own head." Yeah, you come on out. Let, let's do this yeah, over here. Exactly. Uh, this would be perfect. Uh, Jason Fitz is the ultimate storyteller. We often just give him a name, and he will somehow have a story about it. Uh, Vince Scully. I don't really have a Vince Scully wow. story, but I will tell you this. Because like, I'm, I'm going to be on Barton Hahn today with Freddie Coleman, and we were just talking about Vince Scully. And I think what's really significant about Vince Scully that, that maybe we haven't thought enough about, and I think a lot of Raiders fans and, and people in general remember certain calls, right, certain play-by-play guys that are just associated with, like when you have the, the touchdown Raiders call that we had for years, or even Chris Berman and the way he says the word Raiders. There's certain things that are just signature and what's interesting about Vince Scully is he was less about being a catchphrase and less about, uh, you know, being sort of that, like, I've got this hook, but more about being a storyteller. The question is, in a new era and a new generation where when I host SportsCenter on Snapchat, the metrics say that we have three to four seconds to capture a viewer, can storytellers still exist even in baseball on radio at the same level? I don't know. So I think we need to, like, sort of tip our caps, not just to Vince Scully, but to any of the guys that have been around uh, nearly as long as he has because I'm not sure the next generation's ever going to see this again. I, I was saying earlier that I think if, if you had a new broadcaster who was like Vin Scully and telling, you know, random stories during the game, I don't think people would like it. I think people generally would dislike that type of announcing if it was just a new guy doing it in 2022. A thousand percent. In fact, uh, you know, I'm a huge horror movie fanatic and Halloween movies are uh, huge for me. And the original Halloween was tested, I think it was last year to a, uh, an entirely new young audience, and it tested incredibly poorly. They panned it because they all said it was too slow and too, too long to get to the violence. The plot buildup was too monotonous. Like, the things that used to work don't work now. So, And the other interesting part of it is, like, in a world where you can be a team guy for a certain payday or you can be a national guy for a life-changing Iona super yacht payday, like how many guys are trying to be a team guy for the rest of their lives when they want that national money. So I got to think this Vince Scully moment is sort of a tip of the cap. And we have to remember, like sometimes things change and that's just the way it is. I think that's where we are with baseball and the announcing of it, which is a shame because I, I, I still love the golden era of you. You don't even need the game on. You're just listening to it and you feel like you're there. 
All right, so the blockbuster comes down. Were you surprised uh, what they got? I mean, we looked at they they got uh, uh, one one kind of basic pitcher, some some prospects. I mean, what did you think about Juan Soto going to them, and and in terms of the blockbuster, what they finally uh, did with him? So I think the the aggressiveness by the Padres is always going to be something that I will commend, and they put themselves in a situation where for the next couple of years. They're going to be really good, and that's important, I think, as much as I joke about the Dodgers. I think having more than one team on the West Coast that can be in that race is interesting. It makes for compelling baseball. The return to me I thought was a little paltry, honestly, if we're, if we're just looking at five prospects. I will say, though, I talked to Jesse Rogers yesterday. I talked to Tim Kirchin yesterday. Everybody said that these prospects are the type of prospects that can play sooner than we expect. Marley Rivera said the same thing. So there's a concept, at least, that the Washington Nationals don't become awful through this process. They start a rebuild through this process that looks different. But I also think, y'all, like, there's a broken system when you offer a player $440 million, 23 years old, to be a, a, a part of this franchise forever, and he chooses to go somewhere else. Like, I know that's just part of baseball, but if you're a Nationals fan, like, where's your hope right now? The names that they've lost right there is a reason why the NBA – looked around and figured out bird rights, why the NFL has figured out franchise tagging. They've got to do something to keep the best of the best in an opportunity where they can get paid like the best of the best that they are, but they can also resonate with the franchise for longer. I mean, the problem is owners that don't want to spend money. We've got 30 teams and approximately 12 of them are willing to spend money to actually try to win. The other like 15 to 18 are just happy to have a baseball team because it makes them money. Yeah, which is a problem that Las Vegas needs to be keenly aware of. Because if there's a concept that the A's are just going to come into Vegas and everything's going to be hunky-dory, I mean, my God. Like, I would argue, and the argument made for years around the Cubs is that when Wrigley Field makes you that much money, who needs to win baseball games, right? Like, I understand why that was an argument for a generation. And now I would say that when regionalized television contracts make you as much as they do in baseball, is there really, really an incentive to winning? And now all of a sudden you want to add a beautiful new stadium on the strip that you know is going to increase the valuation of your team overall and give you more opportunities to turn around and make cash. Like the question is, where's the incentive going to be for that ownership group to do what they haven't done in Oakland? Like there's a presumption that they're underspending because they want to save their money until they get what they want. I don't know that that's a fair presumption. And a bad team in Las Vegas is a worst case scenario for any professional sport. That city has too many options to live through years of three and 14 in the NFL or years of 60 win teams in major league baseball. Like that will not work. You have to be constantly competitive or you will lose that market. All right. We'll switch up Deshaun Watson gets six games. Uh, uh, what did you think of Let's First of all, what did you think of what happened there and what she decided and why? And two, would you appeal Goodell to Goodell? I think this is the most difficult situation the league has ever been in seriously uh, because This is precedent. It's new punishment. It's never been done like this before, as most people know. And to your point, there is an appeal process that I will never understand. A bunch of people in the collective bargaining room said, all right, you don't get to handle punishment. Perfect. But you can handle the appeal. Okay, that's good with me. Like, what was Demora Smith thinking? Like, he constantly gets out-negotiated in these things, and they keep voting him back unanimously. Like, this is just stupidity to me. So I'm stunned that the appeal process works the way it works. If you're the NFL and you appeal this, set a dangerous precedent because what happens, for example, if everybody thinks the Alvin Kamara punishment when it comes down in a few months is fair, but Roger doesn't, and then he appeals that one. Will we be as comfortable with Roger basically still doing whatever he wants, or do we as a society want to be able to pick and choose when he should appeal? So I think 
appealing but not appealing is going to make you look like you don't care about women. They are stuck. I don't think they can appeal if they actually respect the process. That being said, my opinion on the entire decision changed drastically from when I first heard the news and I was on radio to when I actually read the entire decision. And I would implore anybody with an opinion on this, read the 16-page decision. I'm not particularly bright, so I had to read it like a dozen times. But the things that really stunned me is that the judge made no bones about the fact that she says in the decision she does believe that he exposed himself. She does believe that he knew that he was making contact. She does believe that that contact he knew was unwanted. And through all of that, she does believe that the NFL proved their point. If she says all of those things and then in the same breath says, but because of prior punishment, I can only give this six games, I have a really hard time making sense of that. The lawyers I've talked to have said, fine, a judge's job is to worry about precedent. I guess I just thought this judge's job was to set precedent. And because that didn't happen, I mean, if you believe that the NFL proved their point and that he did everything that they're saying he did, how that can only be worth six games is disgusting to me. And frankly, I am so damn happy right now that the Las Vegas Raiders do not have Deshaun Watson as their quarterback (laughs) because I can't imagine what it feels like to be a lifelong diehard fan of a team that needs a quarterback, wants a quarterback, and then has to apologize for that quarterback every time they put on a jersey or watch him throw a touchdown. All right, Jason, before we let you go, here's a fun transition for you. Here, uh, before we let you go. Um, Press box transition. Thank you, Jared. I went to a string quartet that played BTS songs for an hour and a half. <laughs> oh, this is such a phenomenon. And by the way, Lindsey Sterling is incredibly talented. If no one's actually checked out Lindsey Sterling, you should. She's amazing. Yeah, I, I, she's incredible. I'm incredibly jealous. When I was a kid playing the violin, you played classical music or you played improv, right? There was no in-between. And there was a period in my career where there's some of those like string quartet tribute records to Queen and things like that. I played on a bunch of those. So when you hear elevator music, that's a string quartet playing Aerosmith. That's me. I'm on that <laughs> string quartet. Um, but like that was such a weird and wild thing then. And now the biggest change in music since when I was a kid to now is the kids are exposed to everything and every opportunity so early in their playing that they can actually turn around and become better musicians earlier. They can use their ears earlier, and they can have more fun. Like, the whole reason I stopped playing classical music was because I'd rather just have somebody hit me in the face a hundred times than keep playing Mozart every day. (laughs) If I could have played fun things like that, I don't know. Like, my my whole life trajectory would have been different. I, I tell people all the time, go check it out. I think quartets that do good work on those types of songs are worth it. It's entertaining, and it's fun to watch great musicians play different music. It was. I, I, I mean, enjoyed it. Do they, like Tyler said yesterday, how often, if they're doing BTS, do they practice or could they just sit down and play it and not really know what BTS is? So, uh, honestly, like when I did, uh, when I did studio orchestra work, like big orchestras, um, like on the Matchbox 20 Mad Season record, I, I played in the orchestra on that. And when you show up in the studio, the, the music's in front of you. And the first read is your, is your like rehearsal read. The second read is the recording, and the third read is your overdub on it, and then you move to the next song. So there's no, like, honestly, if you had a good a group of really uh, capable and talented musicians, you could have a rehearsal at, you know, 3 o'clock, run everything once, and then play the show. Like, it's wow. not, that's not hard music to be able to play. Uh, and a lot of the guys, uh, guys and girls that have an orchestral background that play in Nashville, L.A., New York, places like that, a lot of them, frankly, could step in and sight-read that show and, and, and crush it. Like, it's not, it's not hard music to play. It's just fun music to listen to. All right. 
String quartets. Go watch them. Endorsed by me and Jason Fitz. Uh, he's Jason Fitz. Maybe I'll do like a whole string quartet version of an autumn win this year to top what I did last year, oh. and I'll just play all the different string quartet instruments. Like, now we got a new challenge. Let's Listen, go. Until you play it on a saw like that one lady did the national anthem <laughs> earlier this year, I won't be impressed. That's, that's fair. Um, I might just hit a saw and then overdub Michael Lick Jr. humming the whole time and see if anybody figures it out. Well, he is Jason Fitz from ESPN. Jason, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Appreciate you guys. See you. All right, we got tickets to give away. Four pack of tickets to the Aces and Sky on August 11th at Michelob Ultra Arena in the ESPN Fan Zone. The Fan Zone is brought to you by West Star Credit Union and Finley Volkswagen Henderson. We got four tickets to Las Vegas Aces and Chicago Sky on August 11th. Be calling number eight right now at 702-364-1100. That's 702-364-1100. You'll get tickets to Aces and Sky. At the end, when... Our demand stayed stayed uh, uh, consistent. Then you know we kind of eliminated uh, the the teams and kind of got down to uh, a small number of teams. Then down to two, and then uh, and then when uh, when the Padres reached the uh, the tall threshold that we had for this trade, uh, we we, uh, we decided to make the trade. Juan Soto is now a Padre. Back to the show about him. Congratulations to Shane. He won tickets to go see the Aces and the Chicago Sky on August 11th. Um, Ed, ESPN.com's Bradford Doolittle. What a name. He Bradford. Gave, he went through every MLB team's trade deadline to tell you how they did. And the San Diego Padres were declared the biggest winner of the trade deadline. Uh, the Dodgers were considered winner by default because he thinks they still have the best team in baseball. Oh, because they didn't lose anybody. Yeah. And they got Joey Gallo. Standing Pat is what he put as his little okay. subheading for the Dodgers. All right. But they did acquire Joey Gallo. Yeah, they did get Joey. So, yeah, your uh, biggest winner is the San Diego Padres. Yeah. Well, who else was it going to be? I don't know. The Yankees? The Yankees were declared a winner. The Astros were declared a mostly a winner. Okay. But he did say What about the Cubs? He said something stupid in here uh, about the Astros. But what about the Cubs? Let's see. The Cubs were declared a loser. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, they are. They're on brand. They didn't trade away their two guys that yeah. are free agents. Contreras and Ian Happ. And Ian Happ. Like two guys that the whole they did trade away the reliever, David Robertson. But like everything was like, oh, Wilson Contreras, great hitting catcher. There's like three or four teams that are in he the playoffs. He had said goodbye and like was yeah. hugging everyone he the and day Ian before. Happ. They were like hugging we're, each yeah. other. They played at Wrigley like yeah. a couple days ago, and they were like, oh, it's our last game at Wrigley because right. we're getting traded, and we're on the road for the next four days. Didn't get traded. They're right. going back to Wrigley. <laughs> Standing ovation for nothing. So, yeah, I, I'm curious because like the Astros, for example, they traded for a catcher. They traded for Christian Vasquez from Boston, and the Astros gave up two prospects for him. Now, they're not top 10 prospects, so they're not like great by any means, but they gave up two prospects for him. What did the Cubs want for Wilson Contreras? Because he's better than Christian yeah. Vasquez. Like, he is. And did they simply just, like, want too much? And everybody said... It had to be that, because no, it was, thank you? he was one of the obvious ones to go. Yeah. Like, I, the Mets were one of the teams interested in a catcher. I don't think they traded for a catcher. No. And... How like how much did the Cubs want for Wilson Contreras? Well, the Cubs are only sixteen games back, so maybe they think they're going to go on a run. They stand pat. 
I I get I guess the only logic is that there's still sixty something what sixty games left they can they can go on a run I believe Wilson Contreras I don't know if it's true for Ian Happ but I believe Wilson Contreras if he signs in free agency with another team the Cubs will get a um one of those compensation picks after maybe the first round maybe the second round or something like that. So maybe that was their logic. Like, hey, we're going to ask Kai, and if he leaves in free agency, we're still going to get a draft pick in return. And we don't have to pay that person as much. So Cubs owners are very cheap. I mean, minor leaguers don't make any money either. I know. So what you actually I, have that to pay was the, their reasoning. Have to pay the compensa- draft pick a compensatory more. pick? It might be. Like, they might be looking at it saying, well, let's ask for a lot, and if we don't get it, at least we get a comp pick at the end of the season. Maybe. But, like, it can't be money. you got to pay the draft picks more. They get signing bonuses. You, you sign a, you trade for a minor leaguer. You don't have to give that guy a signing bonus. He's making $7 a day. How close do you think the Angels came to moving Shohei Otani? Apparently not very close. Bums. Should have traded Boy, him. what a trade that would have been. Of course, the Padres. To the Padres? Yeah, the Padres would have gotten him because so, they didn't do enough at the deadline. What about, the, okay, the Angels did trade their closer, Rossiel yeah. Iglesias, to the Braves. Now, he, granted, he has not been very good this year. But they just re-signed signed him to a four-year deal. Yeah, yeah, sixteen million a year, which is you know top of the market. He and I think Kenley Jansen got the most in free agency among relievers. And then they trade him to the Braves, and now the Braves have Rossiel Iglesias for the next three and a half seasons at sixteen million per year. But I'm a little confused because the Angels also traded one of their center fielders, uh, Brandon Marsh, to the Phillies. They were kind of sellers at the trade deadline, and. To to like look if you look at Shohei Otani, the question that we asked was okay, he's under contract for this season and next season, and then he becomes a free agent. Do the Angels believe they're going to be good next season? Do the Angels believe they're a playoff team next they're, season? They're only twenty three games out this season. If they yeah. believe they're good <laughs> next season, then you keep Shohei Otani and you go a, for if it. If they believe it, they have to but, win more than a third of their games to even be in contention. But why would you? Trade away your closer and then a center fielder that you had under team control for like three more If you more thought seasons. you were going to be good. Right. If you thought next season, hey, we, we're we going to make a run right. at this. Like them, Trout's going to be healthy. Them trading their closer and one of their outfielders while keeping Otani is is doing two different things at the same time. Sending, sending two different messages. Right. That's trade. That's being a seller because you're not going to win this year, but it's two guys you had under team control for multiple seasons. But it's also standing pat with Otani because, I mean, I, I guess maybe there's a financial reason beyond wins and losses. Like, Otani makes them a whole lot of money, I imagine. So maybe there's a financial reason that the owner was... Maybe the GM went and said, hey, it's best for us if we trade Otani. You got to stay in the Japanese market. And the owner might have said, we're absolutely not trading Shohei Otani. A lot of... A, lot of a- Reports that the Dodgers were making a hard run at them, and they just wouldn't—they wouldn't pull the trigger against with the Dodgers in the in, in the market. They just wouldn't do it. I can I can buy that. Yeah. But what happens if he leaves in free agency? Well, if he leaves in free agency, there's only going to be a there's only going to be teams. two or three. It's going to be the Yankees right. and the Dodgers, and then maybe there's a third team that comes in. Like the Twins ended up signing Carlos Correa, right? right. Maybe there's a random third team that's like, I'd like that Otani guy. We don't spend money, but we'll. We'll do it once right, every five years, and let's do it for Shohei Tani. So, but you're, it's going to be a very it's small be Yankees pool and Dodgers. Of teams. Yeah, because the majority of teams don't want to spend that much money. And is he going to get $60 million a year?
There was an ESPN story that was like, here's his comparable for the most recent free agent pitcher. Here's his comparable for the most recent free agent hitter. It was 60-something million combined. 